This is Will Friedle, the voice of the future Dark Knight, Batman Beyond. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. And remember a few things. First, Dana deserves better. And second, I am Batman. His name is Zeta. He's kind, gentle, and also a top-secret military weapon. He's made a decision. I will not destroy anymore. Now, with the whole world chasing him. Please help. He's on the run with his only friend. I'm equipped with a built-in credit card. I can generate as much money as I need. You are so taking me shopping. The Zeta Project. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of the DCAU Review, episode 192 to be exact. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend and good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account, and quite frankly, I dare say, the world's largest The Zeta Project fan. It's Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 193 of the DCAU Review. How dare you? (laughs) If you... (laughs) If you keep throwing out disparaging remarks against my character like that, there's not going to be an episode one night before. I'm just going to... How dare you? But no, yes, we are, as promised, we had to get to it at some point. We are, in fact, uh, wrapping up... uh, Well, not really wrapping it up, because we'll have an Elseworlds review next week. We'll get to that a little bit later. But um, yeah, uh, this is going to be a regular thing now going forward in what used to be our month of batman beyond reviews they will now be sort of split between batman and zeta so here we are with the first ever episode of the zeta project spinning right out of the batman beyond episode aptly titled zeta that being uh this one being called the accomplice and if you haven't already turned off the episode or uh skipped it because you have no emotional attachment to this show uh, even less so, perhaps than than Static Shock or uh, or some of the later later uh, DCAU projects that maybe you didn't didn't watch. If you're a if you're a Batman the Animated Series uh, first and foremost lover, then uh, we appreciate you sticking around for these. They are technically technically a part of the DCAU, thus mm-hmm. the DCAU review going forward with our reviews of them. Uh, I don't know. We talked about Liam a little bit off air. I don't know that these episodes are going to be hour long programs. Uh, it might be a struggle to to elongate some of these, but hey, I, I will say you and I have not seen most of, if not all of these. So maybe we'll get surprised when we can have a really engaging episode. But it's not looking good. But before we get into our <laughs> before we get into our breakdown and grading for this week's plot visual and animation, music, and voice acting. Let's jump into our yet-to-be-sponsored IMDb synopsis segment here, Liam, for the episode The Accomplice, which originally debuted, get this, we always don't, a lot of people think that we plan this. It would be nice if we did plan things like this, but full full disclosure here, uh, we did not plan this. Get this, the original air date for this episode January 27th, 2001. That's right. We're coming up here in just a few days from the original airing of this episode on the 21-year anniversary of the Zeta Project's initial episode. 
That's right. And this synopsis is for The Accomplice, which was written by Robert Goodman, directed by Kurt Gaeta, music by Lolita Ritmanis, and animation by Coco. And that synopsis reads as such. Zeta, an infiltration unit, no longer wants to harm anyone. But the government won't let him go that easily. They want him back on his mission. Zeta encounters Ro, who tries to help him on his quest. Oh. Now, that is very generic and a bit run on sentency, mm -hmm. but it is about the long and short of the episode. Uh, so, I don't know. C plus on that one, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. It is, yeah, there's, it, I feel like you could have just used the last last portion there where it talks about meeting Ro, and that would have been the, the full thing, or just the description of the Zeta character itself, but... I get it. It's fine. You had to do this. But I think with that, we can just give our scores for plot at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Yes, uh, Liam, we kick things off and uh, we actually are reintroduced to Zeta, who, as we'll talk about in visual and animation, looks a little bit different than we last remember him looking. He now lost the true religion logo for his head that he had before and now has a sort of like osmosis jones pill box head or something like that <laughs> instead uh that he's sporting but he is in desperate desperately trying to get in contact uh with uh, another familiar face uh, as he is uh, sort of meandering around what we learn is a bus depot bennett you've been looking for me i want to talk who is this how did you get on this line you think I want to hurt people. I need you to believe me. I don't. Zeta, where are you? I know you're tracing the call. I'll tell you where I am. You scan. I'll call into ops. Scout 4, routine check, Wood Valley, Maryland, bus depot. I don't believe it, it's him. I'll contact you later. Zeta, wait. Freeze, Zeta. West, holster that weapon. West! Target spotted. Notify Bennett. We are in pursuit. Yeah, so that kind of gets into, I guess, what uh, series uh, showrunner Bob Goodman, along with uh, Alan Burnett and Gene McCurdy, some of the other people. We have, there are a lot of names, as you, as you just heard when I... Uh, listed off the credits for this week's episode that worked on other DCAU shows. So it's not as if this doesn't have uh, any DCAU DNA to the project. And uh, But uh, as we'll get to, as you said, in visuals, a lot has changed. Um, but yeah, this was sort of, I guess, the the vision of, of Robert or, or Bob Goodman um, uh, it was that this would sort of be like the the 1970s show or perhaps maybe more memorably the the Harrison Ford movies, the, the, the fugitive. And this would kind of be a, you know, a, a good person on the run, or in this case, a good robot on the run and trying to clear, clear their name and, and sort of having constantly being hunted and having to move from place to place and who can they trust and, and, and all of that stuff. So that's, that's the idea coming in here. And, and we see that as, as Zeta is, is not really hiding when we, when we first meet or when we first see him again, he is in fact at a, uh, at an airport or, a, or I guess a, a subway terminal or something and is attempting to make a video call 
to uh he's not using a giant cell phone like in beyond they apparently do have uh, some sort of video chats but uh, <laughs> um he calls agent bennett directly he's got i guess has super hacking powers um i am ready for a series where zeta just has whatever like technological ability they need him to have for the episode yeah that's um, that seems like it's pretty much what this episode calls for and hey it it, it speeds up the plot and makes things move ahead sure okay. sure yeah totally fine i can buy that so he hacks in he tries to he pleads with agent bennett to uh to leave him alone and, and promises that he's no longer violent and does not want to hurt anyone but of course agent bennett uh is able to trace the call and, and sends these two agents, these two kind of bumbling, most mostly the one, uh, Agents West and Agent Lee after him. They sort of have a chase with Zeta. He's uh, he's able to elude them and uh, and sort of escapes and and uh, and so that kind of sets up that Zeta is still on the run and even though he really does have does have no interest in, in harming anyone, he he sort of doesn't know where to go or or where to turn to. So. While, while he's still out there, we are introduced to this character uh, who will be the, the female lead of the series, this difficult to determine age, I guess, teenage girl uh, named Ro, who we yeah. meet. Uh, she's been uh, arrested for shoplifting. And uh, we sort of get a quick introduction of her character as kind of being a little bit sarcastic, but maybe, you know, not necessarily a really bad kid, but in some some confusion, she's able to slip away from the I guess the rent-a-cop that had arrested her and we find out that this was a part of her initiation into some sort of uh some sort of gang and this is this is spring city they're in uh i'm not familiar if that's like i don't believe that's another like dc comics city so this might be a a new creation for this episode but so she uh she brings them the food and and then she's told that uh, that's really only step one and that they uh they need her to help them rob a bank or a, a credit depot <laughs> however money works in the future here sure yeah yeah so th this is going to be part of her initiation so we do in the dialogue with her being uh being detained learn that she stays at a a children's home and she's run away so she's apparently attempting to live out on her own and part of stealing the goods was part of her initiation and joining this gang gang and as you mentioned the the next part of officially being able to live at this uh, ex extensive hideout or expansive hideout is uh is to is to rob a credit depot and uh she is uh, seems to be hesitant at this and at the same time uh we learn that uh the agents as we we learned agent bennett who uh, had sent his people after Zeta and uh, had just missed him as he was able to sort of elude them at the bus depot from the first scene. He then uh, he then gets on a as you mentioned gets on a on a bus from uh, actually it, from the state of Maryland. So we learn the state of Maryland exists in the DCAU uh, and uh, also makes his way to Spring City. And wouldn't you know the storylines sort of converge here as Roe and uh, the the hoodlum that is attempting to make her rob this cred depot uh, arrive right at the same spot where uh, Agent Bennett has tracked Zeta to, and uh, we didn't mention, but the Agent Agent Bennett has the set of goggles that he's able to use to X-ray sort of the surrounding people to see through Zeta's Zeta's disguise, which I believe was something that he also had in, or at least the agents had uh, in in the Batman Beyond episode Zeta that we 
covered in the archives at dcaureview.com if you would like to mm-hmm. hear the intro of this character. But uh, yeah, they all sort of converge at this spot and uh, Zeta is is hiding, not quite uh, not quite been discovered by the agent just yet, but happens to see that Roe is about to be killed by this hoodlum. And uh, so he intervenes, uh, of course, uh, giving up his own uh, location and uh, forcing the agents to- I'm making it easy, Roe. All you gotta do is watch the door. Uh, no, Slam, I'm not doing a holdup. This isn't funny. Someone's gonna get hurt. You don't do this, you're over. Fine, I'm done with you anyway. Not what I meant, sweetie. <gasps> hey, it's him. <gasps> After him, move it! Freeze, federal agents! Run. Fire! After him! He went this way! Come on, open! In the uh, the process of saving Roe, he's actually injured. He's hit by one of the blasts from one of the agents. Um, agent West, I believe, is the, the agent that hits him with his weapon. And uh, through a scuffle and a, a brief pursuit, uh, he is able to, to escape uh, in, in a car with Roe. She's actually sort of hesitant initially. He asks for her help to help him escape. Uh, but she sort of throws it to caution to the wind and says, what the heck is she seems to be a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And this leads to several different plot points uh, later on in the episode, but <laughs> they make their way and uh, somehow elude the, the uh, watchful eye of the, uh, of the agents as they sort of escape through some alleys and there's a brief chase, uh, but they, they manage to make their escape uh, at which point Roe is able to, uh, assist she's actually about to leave zeta uh, she attempts to wake him up he's been incapacitated since this initial blast and the damage uh, but she actually p- fixes something or pushes some sort of button or plug on him that causes him to sort of rejuvenate and begin repairing himself uh, they then uh, he invites Roe to come out with him Uh, Once he informs her that he has creds on him and he's able to generate creds uh, without any sort of limits, Uh, she (laughs) takes him up on an offer to uh, to go out to a nice burger joint and eat. And that's where we sort of get the uh, the initial introduction between these two characters, full introduction as Zeta is able to give her the the full backstory and what he's looking to do. Uh, and, and she sort of gives him some, some fair critique and commentary as to perhaps reasoning with the agents might not be his best strategy going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think she, she sort of is, uh, is trying to talk. That's, that's something that they seem to want to get across is that while Zeta is 
you know, very docile at this point and doesn't want to fight, doesn't want to uh, harm anyone, um, that he is also very naive and thinks that if he could just, you know, talk to Agent Bennett for a couple of minutes, he'd be able to convince him to to leave him alone. And that's obviously, uh, you know, Roe is kind of telling him that that's not uh, that's not really the case. And and we get we kind of learn as much as that it, uh, when we hear Agent West and Agent Lee sort of talking with Bennett uh, uh, a little bit later as, as they're discussing, uh, you know, Bennett's talking about how dangerous it is and how they have to take him down. And Agent West asks, well, if that's the case, why are we trying to capture him? If he's a terrorist, why aren't we just killing him? Why aren't we just, why aren't we just destroying him? And then, of course, we get the the other you know the other hat dropping, so to speak. There we get we get that that you know Bennett doesn't want to destroy Zeta. He wants to reprogram him and put him back to work. Uh, and so that's so it doesn't really matter to Bennett whether or not Zeta is a danger to the public. It just matters that Zeta isn't uh, you know a tool in the toolbox for this. For this organization that they that they work for so uh that's uh yeah that's contrasted with rose sort of telling him that well what you really should be should be trying to do is track down the people that created you and then they can give you some answers and, and tell you what your purpose should be as opposed to trying to make nice with with the agents who are trying to capture you so that sort of sets up the uh, the finale here as, as, as Zeta tries to uh, mimic Agent West in order to download information about his creators. And Ro at first is, is hesitant. She wants to sort of part ways and doesn't want to continue to help him. But then uh, Zeta, Zeta mentions that if, if she's able to distract the agent who is, is on their lunch break, that perhaps he'll have a little bit longer of a time to, uh, to fix everything. And so... She decides uh, at the last moment that she isn't going to uh, to abandon Zeta and is in fact going to help him. At first, I think she she just wants to uh, distract West and then she's going to leave. But uh, as we find out, of course, she she will in fact be going with Zeta. But that's uh, that's a little bit ahead of time here. As first, we get Zeta disguising himself as Agent West and and coming on to the the <laughs> the agent's transport, which is this like giant floating like. Uh, you know, spaceship looking thing. And it's it just looks like, like the Oscar Meyer Wiener mobile a little yeah. bit. <laughs> just, but a very tech version. It's like this giant, like spaceship bus thing um, <laughs> that has like little terminals and computers for all the agents to work in. And it's just like parked in the middle of a street in like <laughs> in this suburban <laughs> town. Like it's very wacky. And so, yes, Agent, Agent West goes off to lunch at a, at a diner. And, and so Zeta takes his place and is trying to download things, but has a, has sort of a brief interaction with Bennett that leaves Bennett a bit s- suspicious of it. And while, uh, while Roe does her best to distract Agent West uh, from getting back, uh, getting back and, and sort of discovering Zeta has taken his place, uh, that's really not, uh, that's all for not, as uh, Bennett being suspicious actually uses the the special binoculars that can see through uh, Zeta's uh, hologram on the supposed Asian West and realizes that Zeta is in fact in their, in their little ship with them. And there's a fight and uh, it looks like Zeta has been, been captured by this device they're able to attach to his back. It looks like it's short-circuited him. But uh, he's able to, I guess, use his his repair kit to weld it or burn it off of him, and he's sort of able to reactivate. And along with Roe, uh, helping to distract Agent West, they are once again able able to elude their agent uh, chasers. And uh, that's sort of where we begin to wrap things up as we kind of get our mission statement for the uh, the rest of the series going forward. 
I thought you were done once you had your money. In too deep to stop now. I want to see how this turns out. I only had time to download a partial file and this image. Both were damaged in the electric surge. It'll take a while to reconstruct the data. But look at that picture, Z. One of those guys is gonna get you your freedom. I know it. I still don't think you should come with me. It's too dangerous. In case you haven't noticed, I don't have anywhere else to go. That's dangerous. Besides, you're in danger without me. Like that unlimited credit card thing. What about it? You can't go telling people about that anymore. Someone might take advantage. I told you. I know, but I'm different. You know, I could use a new pair of shoes. Yep, we get uh, we get Zeta and uh, and Ro together, sort of discussing that hey, he was only able to download a fraction of the information. He sort of has a has a incomplete puzzle, if you will, and is going to be uh, spending a lot of time apparently trying to uh, sh sift through and and uh, reformat the information. That way, he's able to get a full picture. It's literally a picture of the scientists that have uh, that worked on the project with him. So. Uh, that's where we go, and it appears that uh, that Roe is willing to join him uh, based on the fact that uh, she likes adventure. She uh, admits uh, shortly before this that she's uh, a little bit crazy, and uh, she enjoys <laughs> enjoys sort of the adrenaline that uh, that that uh, brings or that comes with the actual uh, chase, of course. So that uh, she's gonna she's gonna team with Z as she now calls him and uh, they're going to do their best to avoid the watchful eye of these NSA agents. So they're, uh, they're on a mission to get Zeta his freedom and this is how they believe they're going to achieve it. So um, yeah, that will bring us, I think, to our plot scores, Liam. Um, I will say as a cartoon, this is perfectly fine. Like mm -hmm. I got done watching it and I was like, Hey, this is, that was a fine cartoon. It was a fun, it's a fine cartoon. If you put that on and I was eight years old, I think you could say there was, yeah, I'd probably be entertained by it for the most part. Um, uh, however, when we're looking at this as a part of the DCAU, which again, part of the reason why, we waited so long to do this is because it, it feels so distant and, and disjointed and really not uh, associated with the DCAU. And it, it's hard because, you know, obviously Mr. Goodman was sort of boxed in having this as his spinoff show uh, for a creator, a, a character that he created and obviously had a different vision for ultimately what was, what was made with the program. As you mentioned, I think earlier on, you know, he had a bit of a darker vision for this and things were, you know, when you watch the fugitive, you don't get the light and fluffy feels, whether you've watched the movie or seen the series, it's a very serious, mm -hmm. dark, heavy, at times story or even if you want to take it take it in a different direction and apply it to a superhero show with a similar beat the incredible hulk television series from the 70s with bill bixby uh and lou ferrigno in it where it was also a very similar idea of a constant man mm -hmm. on the run trying to prove his innocence and, and and constantly having to evade authorities uh that was that was a very dark show at times so 
I think when you're looking at something as serious as, as this sort of subject matter of, you know, being wrongly accused or, you know, uh, trying to defend oneself's innocence against an authority figures, uh, a light and happy, bubbly, funny, quippy approach sometimes maybe doesn't, doesn't stick very well and feels a little bit alien. Um, not to mention, as I was sort of already alluding to, that it, it doesn't really feel like it's very much a part of a DCAU show. Nothing about this in the DNA of this, uh, at least for this first episode, felt like it was connected in any way to the DCAU. Um, I think if they had gone the route that this was maybe the same character and was not a direct spinoff, similar to maybe how they had handled the first couple seasons of Static Shock, then maybe then maybe you, you could you know it, it wouldn't wouldn't be this wouldn't be this hard to sort of swallow. But I, mm-hmm. I will say it was hard not to draw comparisons to those early seasons of static because it, it those seasons also do not feel like dcau because they're not meant to be dcau and i i just don't feel that the story itself the the robot on the run from the government teaming up with a 15 year old girl or a 14 year old girl or however old she's she's supposed to be doesn't have a doesn't doesn't feel like the same type of theme as those batman the animated series episodes that were started you know 11 year or 10 years before this <laughs> Yeah, like I think you you kind of hit the nail on head on the head in that in a bubble, there's nothing particularly wrong with this as like a concept, or or as a as you said as an as a piece of entertainment for a you know for a child. There's nothing there's nothing particularly wrong with this as a concept, uh, or even I would even say the execution. But yes, when you are trying to connect it i would argue this is even like a step further removed or feels a step even further removed and we'll probably talk about that more in visuals from even those early seasons of static shock um so i think that so i think that's part of it it doesn't really feel like there there is a connection obviously we know later on zeta does return to batman beyond and i believe batman shows up in an episode of the zeta project so they do cross back over at one point in the series, but it just feels like the so much, so much has has changed even from that initial uh, point when we when we met Zeta in Batman Beyond. Um, so you know, again, we'll see as as we review more episodes of this. Maybe maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised, and and they'll be able to work in some elements that feel more authentic to the. Uh, to the DCAU going forward. But yeah, as a whole, this episode itself, it's fine. Like there's nothing, there's nothing really wrong with it. They explain the concept of who Zeta is, I think pretty well, where even if you hadn't seen the Batman Beyond episode, you can kind of grasp what's going on. Um, I think uh, Ro is a, is a pretty likable character as like a sidekick. I think she's, she's fun and she and, and Zeta have a good, good rapport. We'll certainly talk about that a little bit in, in voice acting later. And and you know Bennett being the sort of obsessed uh, agent um, who's you know constantly chasing, chasing this uh, chasing this good guy that just wants to be left alone. Like there's yeah there's there's some good stuff here, and some stuff that I think could fit into the DCAU better than it does. But as it is, um, I thought the episode was okay as a starter. But uh, you know I ended up settling on a five out of ten for plot. I think it's fine. But I think it's it's lack of a feeling like a continuation of of even like the world of Batman Beyond 
to an to an extent uh is is maybe why this feels a little further removed from the dcau than even those early seasons of static yeah i i do, I do not disagree with you in fact i gave it the same exact score five out of ten i think i think you're right you're onto something with the idea that it's a futuristic show that's supposed to include all of this future technology that was sort of originated in Batman Beyond with some of the same sticking with the same terminology with creds and you have floating cars and hover vehicles and um, you know all this futuristic technology that was -hmm. introduced to us in the DCAU but we're and we're supposed to believe this is the same world or the same I believe I read someplace this is supposed to take place in the year 2040 so maybe a year after 2039 or what 50 years in the future 51 years into the future i guess <laughs> 51 uh, years from now whenever now it is doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well as the other one but <laughs> we'll allow it yeah so i i i i think that you're onto something with that that with static at least at the time you're able to sort of relate as a kid when you're watching it because the technology even though you're watching a superhero that has the ability to shoot you know electricity out of his hands you're you know it's not not supposed to be this futuristic world that you're that he's living in it's it's supposed to be the same time and age that you're that you're living in so for it to you know to have to jump into the future and kind of start some it's starting fresh but also relying on source material is is a little bit is a little bit difficult and i think you're right makes it feel a little bit unfortunately removed from from what it was maybe originally spun off from so yeah interested to see uh how we how we look at that going forward but let's move on to our next category lane which is going to be visuals and animation uh so i believe i saw coco is responsible for this one is that right that is right, and a familiar name on the in the director's chair in Kurt Gaeta as well. There you go, a, uh, a DCAU uh, stalwart and someone that's worked on many different things here. Um, I guess, first and foremost, I will kick things off with where we were introduced with the episode, and that is the the intro. So I believe that the, the intro uses a little bit of the CGI uh, for not only the, uh, the backgrounds, but also some of the characters also. I will say it was a little bit odd to have the characters have dialogue <laughs> talking to each other throughout <laughs> the, uh, the opening theme there. But the, the credits give you a basic idea of what the, the show is going to be about. And it's not simply recycled footage. So I, I appreciated that. Uh, but uh, the characters themselves, I will say, I fully like looking at screen grabs from this, you may think that it's similar animation or a, a animation style similar to that of the uh, first couple of seasons of Static Shock, but I, I will say I was I was actually surprisingly impressed that this seems to be a little bit uh, perhaps more there there maybe they had a bigger budget. Um, I will say that there's no cell shading on the characters, which mm-hmm. typically makes this looks a little bit more low budget. Uh, than, than the characters that we're used to and certainly a lot of the designs that we're used to also immediately makes it feel like it's not in the same universe as the other DCAU shows. Uh, but I was actually somewhat impressed, at least for the for the opening episode here. I'll be interested to see if they had a, a higher budget on the, the uh, entirety of, of the rest of the series. But as far as the animation is concerned, it, it was a step up or two from, from those early seasons of Static. Um, yeah, I, I think they do well with what they have as far as 
the design, the background designs of the city and everything. I will say that's probably the part that I thought felt most authentic to the Batman Beyond world that we had seen before is I think the backgrounds and the, the, the subway and then some of the, the vehicles and some of the background characters and stuff that we see walking in the city. That's probably the most like uh, Batman Beyond, the, uh, the designs of, uh, of the, the gang and, and stuff that, that Roe is part of. Uh, at the start of the episode those all feel like they could have you know obviously they would probably be tweaked a little bit and as you said there would be be a bit of a shadow work or or cell shading added to them but they could have walked right out of a you know the opening of a of beyond episode or something but um yeah i think uh what comes to mind for me first first and foremost is the the redesign of zeta from from when we first saw him as you mentioned he no longer has the the sort of the the kind of weird horseshoe. Uh, yeah the horseshoe i guess uh the boomerang head he has a like a i guess it, he kind of looks like a like a friendly terminator robot now mm-hmm. um i don't know if that was part of the the design choice or or not like he has kind of that that sort of uh like a rounder head and and he does like his mouth moves a little bit now and he has these these eyes that are a little bit more expressive it's interesting to me that they decided to do that to his robot form when for a good portion of this episode, he's not even in the robot form. Yep. So, so it felt like, oh, okay, if we, we need him, I would understand it more if, if it was like, well, we need him to be able to express emotion. Um, but he can turn into people to, when he, when you need him to express emotions. So uh, I didn't necessarily think, uh, the design was totally needed but it's fine we don't really get an explanation as to why he decided to change his head from a a little a little sliver of metal into a into a big pill head as you said but uh, like i don't i don't i don't dislike the design we don't get uh, like we said we get a little bit of a, a show off his of his powers he's sort of shape changing right from the first moment we see him uh, his first uh, his first uh, character that he's disguised as looked a little bit like uh like alan burnett to me uh just just (laughs) here but uh but yeah we get to see a lot of the shape changing a little bit of the he seems to have like he can stretch and and he can um and obviously he gets into sort of more physical altercations with the agents and and with the uh the leader of the gang briefly there and and i i also really dug the um the self-repairing that he does i don't know why but i uh, when he when he starts to when there's kind of the hole in his chest and you see it sort of start to close up and then like this little 3D printed thing shoots out like new metal to cover up the ho- the bullet holes and is there the laser blasts I guess in his in his chest I, I thought that was cool so I thought some some of the like the inner workings that we see of Zeta in this episode are cool yeah he has like a built in 3D printer that just uh, prints prints himself a new cover for that hole so like yeah I like that too I I will say I think the only thing that works against them with redesigning the head and i understand especially if if the directive from warner brothers and kids wb was nope this has to be a a kid's show we need to appeal to kids from ages 6 to 12 or whatever the the you know sweet spot was that they were looking for to market this Mm -hmm. show towards at the time but you are able to show emotion. He has eyes that sort of move and rotate similar to, if you've seen the movie, the iron giant, he has these Mm -hmm. very similar eyes. That's what they invoked invoked in in my mind. So um, we talked about it when we reviewed the Zeta episode of beyond that. One of the things that 
actually sort of worked in favor for the robot himself was that he was unable, you're not able to really tell the emotion and it has to come from the actual voice uh, acting. It has to mm-hmm. come from the inflection of the voice. Uh, it's, you're not really able to show. And, and there were some tricks that they did where they would linger on that, that horseshoe head for a moment as if you could try and discern what the, the character's emotion was. Um, but this, they, it's much more overt. They're telling you what the character's emotion is by the way that, that, uh, you know, his eyes look or the way that his mouth moves or, you know, Mm -hmm. what have you. So I will say that for it, it does make the robot more human. Um, and I don't think that I was a huge fan of the, of the U shape to begin with, but I will say that I think it, it makes it makes him feel almost too human and it becomes too cartoony at that point that this character, that this robot is able to begin evoking visual facial emotions, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. if you want to do that in his, in his, in his disguise form, that's one thing, but to, to have him do it while he's, you know, this pill headed Terminator, then maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that was kind of my thought process. I will say there, there is one moment when, when he sort of, first reactivating after he's been injured where Ro is kind of trying to revive him and he he wakes up and his eyes like turn red and he grabs her around the throat and I and I wonder and this maybe is also a little bit going back to plot a little bit but I do wonder if there's an idea and whether or not that is picked up on any further in the series that he is maybe still a little bit at war with himself over this programming because he was designed to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it seemed like he was really ready. Like if, you know, if, if he hadn't really sort of gained control again, you know, you just that very quick thing where he wakes up the eyes kind of, you know, spin around and turn to angry and then they turn red and, and he sort of lunges at her and grabs her around the throat, which that's kind of, I'm surprised. Like strangulation, I know was a, that was a big no-no on the Fox Kids days. I guess Kids WB was a little uh, looser with that stuff by this point in, uh, in, in, in the production of these shows. But, uh, but yeah, I think that, so that could have been something I think interesting to play off of both narratively and physically to see him physically sort of fight off this programming. Uh, not unlike, as you mentioned, uh, the Iron Giant in the in the climax of that movie. So I, I will be interested to see if, if any of those elements, uh, visual or story-wise, come back. But yeah, the rest of the episode, I think there's kind of some fun, like uh, Agent West, who we have to mention, this is this is sort of a, a headcanon thing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, Bob Goodman has been on record as saying this was a total coincidence, but his last name is West. Mm-hmm. He has red hair mm-hmm. and he's voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, as we'll get to in a minute here. So there are people who consider him to be some sort of, uh, you know, descendant of the Flash of Wally West. Now, uh, as, as I said, Robert Goodman, Bob Goodman uh, on Twitter said that this was a complete coincidence, although he did add that he was fine if people wanted to uh, look at it that way, because that's just kind of how how fandom works and uh so i so i do have to ask what's your what's your feeling on that is that is that all is it all coincidence or should we should we say that this is wally's grand nephew or something i think you could say that he's related to him i think the fact that michael rosenbaum if it was if it was just red hair and his name was west i'd say you'd have enough people that are like oh this is definitely somebody that's related but the fact that you also have michael rosenbaum Mm -hmm. voicing the character yeah absolutely he's somewhat related to to wally here or there you know 
whether or not he's directly related to him by by uh, blood direct lineage of, of grandson or what have you or just a, a distant relative I think that's fine I know our friends at uh, at Watchtower Database I believe did a did an entire video uh, out of that so uh, free plug for them if you want to check out their their YouTube uh, mm-hmm. they have a video on that that very subject so yeah that's uh, I yeah I, I go with it that's fine you can uh, you can you can say that he's related what about you yeah, no, I think I, I think I've uh, I've come around to that. Like I, because I, I think when I first uh, maybe saw that video from uh, from Watchtower, I just read about this theory. I, I kind of just kind of shrugged it off because it was something from the Zeta Project, and I don't need to pay attention to that. <laughs> but uh, now that we're reviewing it, and I, I heard him, and it, it, it obviously, like we said, the the voice actor is a big component of this as well. But yeah, I think. I think that's a fun little extra connection. And as we mentioned, when we're kind of grasping at straws for ways to connect this to the other DCAU series, hey, that's one we can we can hang our hats on a little bit there. And uh, yeah, so I, uh, as far as the uh, the other visual notes, yeah, I, I think the the action beats are fun, and and I think especially that opening one where Zeta's running away in the in the subway terminal, and then. And then later when he's sort of uh, injured and, and Roe has to get away with him. Um, and then that, that sort of final brief altercation. I think all the action beats work decently well as far as sort of setting up this frantic pace and that Zeta isn't really trying to hurt even even these agents that are chasing him. He's still not really trying to hurt them. And he's he's really just trying to get away. And, and kind of, I think that sequence where he's trying to stay connected to the, to the data port to, to download the information while also trying to fight off all the agents. I think that's kind of fun and tense. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I, I think his, the things that they show him do also, as we mentioned, it's sort of this seems to be whatever the situation calls for Zeta is going to be able to do whatever it <laughs> calls for, uh, including connecting <laughs> randomly with uh, aux cords to these, these video phones or, uh, you know, he has this extender arm that, you know, has, he has like a go-go mm-hmm. gadget extender arm that pops out of his wrist and uses that a couple different times. Um, you know, what? that's fine. Like, sure, give him all the, the things that he can do. Uh, self-repairing, sure, great. Do that too. 3D printer, yeah, do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and, and I will say Agent Bennett is, does, retain his green goggles uh from from batman (laughs) beyond so we do uh we do keep that character model mostly the same from what we saw uh from the uh from his appearance in in batman beyond but uh visually it's it's certainly its own thing i will say that uh the animation seemed to be pretty smooth i think that you know, this isn't my favorite choice. I, I will agree with you. I made a note about the backgrounds. Uh, they went with some painted backgrounds on on uh, a lot of these uh, in a lot of the scenes that I think helped ground it again in the DCAU a little bit more than than some of those earlier seasons of of static. So um, with that said, I, I'm still not a huge fan of the animation and, and the fact that it's not cell shaded. I think took a few points off for me, but it's fine for what this, what the series is uh, this episode specifically. I went with a five out of 10. Yeah. I, uh, I actually ended up with the exact same score, a five out of 10. I think everything, like I said, there's nothing bad about it other than if you count, like we said, sort of just the, your brain trying to connect it to an art style that we, that is familiar that we just don't have uh, we just don't have in this series. And, and like you said, 
it, you can draw some parallels to the to the static series but i would just say even when you know when batman and robin and the joker show up in the second season of static when they're still kind of using that old art style they still fit well enough in that world uh into the static art style whereas i don't know if you if you drop some of those other dcau characters i guess we'll find out one day when we cover the episode that batman uh, batman beyond is in but uh, as it stands, I don't know if if those character models fit as well in the Zeta project as even they did in the in the static in the static series. So that's something I'll definitely look forward to. There we go. Moving on to our next category, Liam. We have our music for this episode, which I believe you said was composed by the great Lolita Ritmanis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have, uh, of course, better known as uh, one third of the Dynamic Music Partners and certainly a DCAU legend. Again, sort of further feeding into the DCAU DNA that does make up a lot of this show. Um, I will say, not a lot to write home about. I felt like initially, uh, I will say that the theme song uh, the Zeta theme does does appear multiple times in the episode, so I, w- I appreciate that. You're referring back to the original Zeta theme, specifically, I think, when that uh, chase scene kicks off, and then again, uh, sort of in that a- the end of the, the episode, the culmination inside the, uh, <laughs> inside the hovercraft, the NSA hovercraft. Uh, I thought that uh, referring back to the, the character theme is always going to be an important part of the show, especially if you're going to establish, hey, this is the theme song for this character. Uh, so I, I did appreciate that. I will mm-hmm. say that uh, I think in the first couple of scenes, the, the music was reminiscent uh, of, a, of a Batman Beyond soundtrack. There were some heavier drums and, and uh, some synthesizers, I felt, that, that made it feel uh, adjacent to maybe Batman Beyond. But um, overall, I, I didn't have a whole lot of notes other than maybe the theme song, which we can talk about if you had any notes. But uh, my score for, for music ended up being uh, another middle of the road, five out of 10. Yeah, I, uh, I went a little bit stronger. I went six out of 10. I do like the theme song. There's a little bit of like nightly news to it, I think. <laughs> maybe it's a little faster paced than a, uh, than a sure. local newscast uh, opening tune would be, but it did have that as that very like sudden dun dun and uh, and sort of that that synthesizer coming in but yeah i i think this is so far again we're only one episode in but i think the music fit that this is sort of this this futuristic robot show so there's a lot more like synth and and other sort of effects thrown into the music which i think i think work well to that i think other than the theme, I think that the music in that initial uh, airport, or, or I keep saying airport, but I think it's like a subway station um, chase sequence, I think is good and, and dramatic and has like a really frantic pace to it. And you really feel like Zeta's struggling to get away from him. And I think I think that that theme kind of comes back, as, as you said, throughout the episode. And especially when he's when he's sort of trying to get away from the, the agents at various points. And, and so I, I think I think it does a decent job of of adding to that to that tense feeling, I think especially later in the episode, as as we said, when when Zeta's sort of trying to download this information and kind of knows he's about to be found out, and then he is fa- found out, and he's trying to stay connected to the port while still fighting off these agents. I think the music does a good job of kind of adding to that uh, to that emotion. So yeah, nothing nothing super fantastic, but a a, a good job I thought by uh, by the great leader Ritmanis, and so that's why I settled on my six out of ten. Very good. 
All right, Liam, we'll take us to our final category of the day, which is going to be our voice acting. As we mentioned at the top of the show and throughout here, we have some familiar voices that make up the majority of our cast here, including a couple of DCAU veterans, as well as a couple of actors that have uh, been the star or have taken place in, in other DC cartoons and, and maybe a sitcom or two. Uh, so let's talk about this week's voice actors. Absolutely. So kicking it off with those uh, those familiar names, we have Lauren Tom as uh, as Agent Lee. She doesn't get as much to do as the uh, already talked about uh, Michael Rosenbaum as Agent West. They're kind of this this duo. They seem to be kind of young and maybe they're a little bit more. They're not quite as uh, uh, on board with the mission as Bennett seems to be. We talked about that. Uh, Agent West has a moment where he kind of questions why. Bennett is so intent on capturing this this fu- this dangerous fugitive. If he's uh, such a danger to everyone around him, why why don't we just try to destroy him? And uh, you know, we get the 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 menacing monologues of uh, of one Kurtwood Smith, who I think we've talked about once or twice on this show as as done sort of minor roles in other other episodes that we've covered, but here as the the ongoing voice of uh, of agent bennett here uh, of course folks would know him as the the dad on that 70s show maybe most famously or i believe he's the villain in uh, robocop and and uh, in one of the star trek movies as well so a uh, uh, a good a good deal of uh, of time is spent with him sort of monologuing and 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 really getting getting across he has a, he has a good menace to his voice he's got that edge to kind of everything he says yeah, he's it's great. It's hard not to, <laughs> hard not to hear uh, Red Foreman from that '70s show, though. When you're, you're so, waiting to hear him call Agent West a dumbass at some yeah, point. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> precisely. Uh, so it's it's hard when you have such a recognizable voice. We talked about him before, I believe. He's in the uh, Justice League episode in Blackest Night. He plays a character on that episode as well. So uh, it's he has a great voice, and it's iconic but because of that role and because of how how memorable that role in that 70s show is if you've seen that show it's hard not to hear that and associate it with that character and and everything that that character was so uh, he does a little bit to soften it I think Red Foreman had a harder edge with every delivery he has so he he does have a little bit of the menacing menacing uh, bite to it as you said but it's it's a little bit less over the top than the Red Foreman delivery so he does change it up a little bit but it's still not it's hard not to hear that once you've heard it with that said though I think he's a he, he did a great performance and uh, you know, perfectly adequate for what uh, what was called for for the agent Bennett. Absolutely, and then uh, elsewhere in our cast we have uh, Julie Nathanson as as Roe. We actually just talked about her not too long in the long Halloween movies. Has also done a just a ton a ton of other voice acting in both in uh, in animation and video games. Um, I like I really like her, and we'll talk about obviously the main star in a moment here. But I think she has a, a good kind of, I think she's a good contrast to Zeta. Um, of course, the, the great Diedrich Bader, who we've talked about quite a few times on this show as Zeta. I think uh, Julie Nathanson and, and, and Diedrich Bader really kind of make this show like the most enjoyable part of the show for me uh, was almost certainly when they're kind of uh, exchanging dialogue. Yeah, their their chemistry is is uh, palpable, I will say. They, they do have a little bit of back and forth. Her her being this character that's supposed to be this sort of spunky feisty teenager also i think she does bring a lot 
uh, to the character and it doesn't feel wooden. It doesn't feel, uh, it feels like it, you know, uh, Andrea Romano is responsible, I believe for the voice casting for this episode and the, the whole series as well. Another DCAU legend, uh, making sure that if somebody was going to be the main focus or, or the, the, uh, certainly the, the main supporting character to the, to the Zeta project, that it was somebody that, uh, was able to evoke some emotion and uh, and deliver lines in a way that was effective, a, a voice acting veteran. So uh, her work, as you mentioned in, in Batman, the long Halloween amongst so many other projects, uh, you know, allow for her to, uh, to for you to see just the, the different uh, variations and certainly the catalog of, of things that she's been able to accomplish as a voice actor proves that, you know, she's clearly cut out to, to lead and has the, has the ability to lead a, a series like this. So, um, yeah, I think that their their chemistry between the two of them, as we've mentioned, we're probably most familiar with uh, Mr. Bader's performance in, in Batman, The Brave and the Bold. Uh, we've covered a, a bunch of those episodes so far. You can check out them in the archives at DCAUreview.com. But it, this, I would say his performance is certainly one he's he obviously is playing a robot, so he has to be a little bit robotic in the way that he delivers it. Uh, but he's I, I feel like it's you know, it's he delivers it in a way where it doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't come off robotic because it is I just said it, it is robotic like there is there is a <laughs> void of emotion in some form or fashion uh, but it's almost like an innocence to to the way that he he gives off the the dialogue um, there's a there's an undercurrent of a naivete if you will of of the character and um, you know as you mentioned earlier on that's that's important to this the storyline for this character is he doesn't quite understand all the nuances of being a human being. And then you have this girl that is sort of playing opposite of him that has to be the, the spunky over the top wild girl that is going to teach him the ways of, of being a, a human. So um, yeah, I, I think both of their performances separately, uh, maybe you would look at them in a vacuum and maybe you wouldn't necessarily appreciate them, but I think uh looking at them together i think that then i think you can kind of see why they were cast the way that uh, in, in those roles and why those those performances in the way that they chose to do them uh play off each other well and and are important to the character development yeah absolutely i think yeah the uh, dj Bader really brings a a sort of naive but uh kind quality to his voice very different from his it's funny because he has such a recognizable voice like you know the second you hear it who that is but he plays this character obviously completely different to his batman for instance or or some of his other you know you think of him as sort of the serious or the maybe the, the macho guy or the kind of the really intense guy even in some of his live action roles so hearing him here just have this just really soft quality and like I said, I think him him bouncing off of uh, Julie Nathanson is row a lot there, and and even when he's sort of a uh, you know kind of pleading with uh, with Agent Bennett at one point with Kurtwood Smith to uh, to let him go and just leave him alone and and uh, and everything. I think I think there's a real there's a real vulnerability to this this version of Zeta that that maybe wasn't there in the uh, not that I thought uh, I think the the previous voice actor did a a bad job as Zeta. I think as we talked about in that episode, but. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that he is uh, he is uh, really bringing something. It feels more like a character who could be a main character of a show as, a, as opposed to a, like a one-off appearance of a, you know, a guest character in somebody else's show. So I see why they went with that, that sort of characterization. And I think, uh, I think Mr. Bader was a, a great choice to, 
to get that performance. So uh, for all those reasons, I ended up staying at a, a strong seven out of 10 for voice acting. I think that's easily the best part of the show uh, to, so far that I've seen uh, or heard in this case is the voice acting. Yeah, uh, I went with the same exact score, one out seven out of ten, and uh, I think it's it does rest on the laurels of the of the two leads just because um, of the of the idiosyncrasies that are required for those those different performances and the way that they play off of each other and everything we just mentioned. Um, I think they're they're really strong, and I'm interested to see going forward how the chemistry develops between the two characters and then uh, going forward what the what the additional voice cast um you know a, a additional guest stars or people that we recognize perhaps from other dcau uh roles as we know again uh as you mentioned michael rosenbaum of course being a part of this as well and then uh you know who else would andrea romano bring in uh to potentially be a part of this cast that we might recognize from either roles that happen in the future on, on justice league unlimited or, or, or justice league, or, uh, you know, things that we've heard in the past. So, uh, yeah, very interested to see where that goes going forward, but, uh, definitely, I think the strongest, it, it was the strongest score from both of us for the entire episode. And I think was the, uh, the standout. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our totals for today. Totaling everything up, I end up with a 22 out of 40 for this week. What about you? Yeah, and I think we only had one category where we differed. So uh, my my uh, final score, just one point higher, a 23 out of 40. There you go. All right. So we, we talk about it a lot here as far as must watches are concerned. Uh, this obviously had a sort of backdoor pilot before it was a, known as a backdoor pilot with the Batman Beyond episode. So we know sort of uh, we came into this knowing a lot of the the who's and what's as far as the Zeta side of things. Uh, but with the introduction of the the Rogue character and, and sort of setting things up here, where do you rank this as a as a must watch and how do you qualify it? <laughs> yeah, it's it is a strange one. But yeah, I think because it does it obviously, as you said, it has its origins in Batman Beyond. And then eventually does cross back over with Batman Beyond later on and including characters like Roe. And uh, I, I think at least this first episode, you should at least this is this is uh, a, a reluctant two thumbs up for rewatchability. I think it, it it's it's both obviously it's the pilot to the whole series. So if we're talking about if it's important to the series, of course it is. And then if you're talking about, uh, you know, connections to the, the broader DCAU, it, like we said, it's, it's picking up right where that Batman Beyond episode left off and, and, uh, and introduces a character that then crosses back over into Batman Beyond later. So, yeah, I think, I think this is a must watch if you're, if, you're, if you're looking at all of it, which for some reason we decided we are, uh, <laughs> here we are. You got to at least watch this first one. For the record, I wanted to do a Batman the Animated Series podcast. You said no. <laughs> UCAU instead. Here we are. But uh, oh, yeah, we'd be almost uh, done. <laughs> but you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy because there would be no uh, other reason for us to ever watch this show uh, <laughs> or for you to have to have dropped uh, $15 to watch this show. Today. That's right. Considered a negative bonus point for me having to spend 
fifteen dollars on. I had to give Jeff Bezos fifteen dollars to find a way to watch the show. Um, so that's yeah. Thanks, that, H- thanks HBO Max for not yeah. for not adding this. Just, just I don't even care if it's in HD. Just put up the crappy four eighty p version that's available on like Apple and Amazon and stuff. I don't, I don't care. At least then I wouldn't have had to pay for it. Oh, good, good, good point. Um, yeah, I will also, I'll just say, yeah, you have to watch it if you're watching all of the DCAU. So, yep, it's a, it's a must watch. So moving on, Liam, let's, uh, let's wrap up this episode. Thank you everybody for tuning into this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And, uh, if that app allows you to leave a five-star review, we would much appreciate that. Don't forget if you listen to us on Spotify, you can check out the links at the bottom. Uh, one of them gives you the opportunity to vote in a poll or the other one gives us some feedback for this week's episode. Uh, of course, if you're looking to support the podcast, there are a couple of ways to do that. First one is to follow us on our social media at DCAU Review on Twitter and, of course, on Instagram. Uh, you can continue the conversation there. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, the Zeta Project as a whole, and uh, what else you'd like to see from us in the future, and perhaps uh, Zeta Project reviews. Don't forget, also, uh, if you want to continue supporting us, you can subscribe to us on the Pod Tower on YouTube. That, of course, is our YouTube channel that we share with the fine folks at Watchtower Database and Tim Talk. You get content from us as well as them uh, right there, all delivered to you uh, whenever new videos are added. Uh, If you want to support us monetarily, there's a link at the bottom of the podcast, or you can head over to our website, dcaureview.com and pick up a hat, shirt, mug, some piece of merchandise uh, to support the pod and get, uh, get something for your dollar. So we would very much appreciate that. We thank those that have. Liam, that's right. You mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this is a five Saturday month, which means that we will be spinning off next week out of our standard DCAU universe and headed to the multiverse to check out a very special multiverse episode. So uh, would you care to preview that for the good folks at home? That is right, Cal. And we were, we were thinking about what kind of theme we could we could pick out uh, for that, we figured it's uh, at least here in the U.S. on the East Coast, it is uh, the weather outside is is quite frightful this time of year. A lot of snow and ice and slush. So we thought we would look for a winter-themed episode, uh, Elseworlds tale to look at. And so we settled on a very interesting episode from the first season of Young Justice entitled Cold Hearted, uh, which involves uh, a lot of uh, a lot of characters, but it's also kind of a, a kind of a small story of uh, uh, kind of a, a Wally West kid flash. There's your connection. Wally West's <laughs> possible grandson is in the Zeta Project this week, and we're going to do a Wally West focused episode of Young Justice next week as uh, as Kid Flash has a, a special mission to run during a snowstorm. There you go. Well, uh, lots of cult fans of, of Young Justice, and we're excited to re-engage with them hopefully next week. Uh, and uh, Liam, very excited to check that out. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Adios. Adios.